I, uh, one of the joys, I think, of this job, and I think the, the other elders would probably agree on this, is that we get to read the testimonies of our new members, which means we get to hear the story of how Jesus intervened in their life and has drawn them to him, and how uh, they have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, and how that's been the difference maker in their life. And they're, they're such powerful stories. And guess what is just about in every, probably all of those stories, when I think about it, there was at least one individual that invested in them and poured into them. In all of them. So when we, we talk about making disciples, this is why this stuff matters. Because these new members wouldn't be new members if it wasn't for individuals taking this call seriously. In fact, if you are in Christ through repentance and faith, the whole reason that that is true of you, not the whole reason, but one of the main reasons, is because for centuries now, for the last 2,000 years, there have been people that have taken this call to make disciples seriously, and it's reached it, its way to you. Isn't that remarkable to think about? And that gets me excited because we get to be a link in that chain. How cool. So let's talk about something that is absolutely critical. And the reason we're talking about it is for those reasons that I've just mentioned. But also because when we send a survey to our people asking like, hey, what do you need help with in your journey with Christ? Making disciples was ranked high on that survey in terms of we need help. We need clarity on this. So that's why we're looking at this, and we are focused on Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. I'm going to read them to you again. You, you may be familiar with them. Um, they're words that have become known as the Great Commission. So let me read them to you, and we're going we're gonna to pull some things out of here. Um, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, Remember, this is, Jesus, this is after Jesus' resurrection. This is kind of like his parting words to his disciples. This is what he tells them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, uh, let, let's review from last week, because what we're doing in this sermon series is we're looking at, last week we looked at the, the what and why of discipleship making. Our disciple making. So remember, what we define what a disciple is. Um, and let, let, me, let me just give you that definition again. A disciple is a person who has received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and is learning from and being empowered by Jesus to obey all that Jesus commanded. That's what a true disciple of Jesus is, right? Now, you may have realized last week, and you may be even realizing this morning, that the words in the definition, and uh, learning to obey all that Jesus commanded, is taken verbatim from the Great Commission. 
You may have also realized that those words, a disciple is a person who has received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, has not been taken verbatim from the Great Commission. What I have chosen to do is simply define what it means to be baptized. That's where I got a disciple as a person who has received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Because what does baptism do? And I want to clarify this because my wife told me last Sunday after I got done preaching, I don't think you were clear on this. So when wife speaks, you got to listen because she's probably right. So, um, so I'm going to try and be clear on this. Um, so baptism, what is baptism? It is simply a symbol. It, uh, is, it's a symbol of what is already should be true in a person's heart and mind. That they've received Jesus as Lord, as master of their life. They've transferred their trust to him in that way. And they've received him as savior. That through repentance and faith, they've been united to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Meaning that their old nature, their sinful nature, has been killed and buried with Christ. And now they have been given a new life so that they can walk in newness of life. They've been given a new nature, a new heart, and they've been given a new power by the Holy Spirit uh, to live for, for Jesus. So, now, that's what, those are the spiritual realities that baptism points to. It is possible for a person to go through the ceremony of baptism and not really have those spiritual realities be true of them. People do this. This happens probably more frequently than we, we probably even realize. That people go through baptism, but they really haven't received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Which means there are people... Uh, I said that baptism is a prerequisite to obeying all that Jesus commanded. What I meant is... Those spiritual realities that baptism points to have to be true of you if you're going to stand any chance at obeying all that Jesus commanded. Because if you are not a new person and you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, good luck. It's not going to happen, right? So, there are people that have been baptized, they've gone through the ceremony, but they can't obey all that Jesus commanded because those spiritual realities aren't really true of them. Now, on the other side of that, there are people who have never been baptized that are walking in obedience to Jesus because the spiritual realities that baptism is a symbol of have become true of them, right? Does that make sense? But, let me add this. If those spiritual realities are true of them that baptism points to and they haven't been baptized, yes, they can walk in obedience to Jesus, but walking in obedience will eventually lead them to what? Oh my goodness, you're following along, man. I feel like we're connected. This is great. It will lead to baptism. That is absolutely right. Because Jesus commands that all believers, all true disciples get baptized. All right, enough of that. One of, hopefully I made it clear. If not, come talk to me. We can have a separate conversation and I'll make it even more muddy for you probably. So, all right. What did Jesus command? Remember from last week that he commanded... Uh, we, can, we can look at a summary, essentially, of what he commanded by going to the Sermon on, on the Mount. Matthew 5-7. through 7. That's, he, that's his teaching of how to live in the kingdom of God in the midst of this world. We can even uh, summarize the Sermon on the Mount, though, further. Remember what we said last week. 
that essentially everything that Jesus, actually not even just essentially, it's true, everything that Jesus commanded falls under the two greatest commandments, right? Which, which is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second, like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? So, why then is discipleship important? If, if a disciple is somebody that knows Jesus, has received Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they're learning to obey all that Jesus has commanded, which can be summed by those two greatest commandments, why is this important? Remember, last week we looked at John 8, 31 through 32, because in, that, in those verses, Jesus says that a true disciple will abide in my word, which means they will know my word and they will continue to obey my word. And then Jesus said what that will lead to. The people that abide in my word are my true disciples, and that will lead them to knowing the truth. And then knowing the truth will lead them to what? Freedom. Freedom to live as they were designed to live. Now and for all eternity. Remember, this has eternal implications. This is not just for this life. This is for the, the next life. This is why discipleship is so critical. Um, how are we designed to live? Guess what? What does that take us back to? The first two commandments. Or the two greatest, sorry, the two greatest commandments. That's how we were designed to live. See how this all works together. All right. So that's what a, what a disciple is and why it's absolutely critical. We are talking about freedom here. How do we do it? Let me just offer three things to you today. The first is this. Making disciples requires vision. We need to know what the target is. We need to, to, to get a picture of how to make disciples. Where do we find the best picture of how to live in the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of this world? Be thou our vision. Jesus is always the crystal clear vision of how to live in the kingdom of God in the midst of this broken, dark world. And so we need to look to Jesus. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith, right? So part of living in the kingdom of God is making disciples. We look to him. Uh, remember what Jesus did with his disciples. So during his earthly ministry, especially at the, the beginning where his ministry really took off, he called the 12 to himself, and he said, look, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men, is what he said. And then he spent the next three years of his earthly ministry teaching those disciples how to be disciple makers. That's what he did. And then we come to the Great Commission, and the Great Commission is really Jesus' way of saying, look, the training is done, it's completed, now follow my example that I've shown you over the last three years. Go do what I've been teaching you, right? So if we are going to know how to make disciples, we must study the master disciple maker in the Gospels and how he worked with the Twelve for those three years. The Gospels are a go-to manual for making disciples today. How else can we catch a vision for disciple making? Well, I think it makes sense to look at other present-day disciple-making examples because that can give us a vision for how we can make disciples in our current culture and context. We live in 2020 in America, right? Or 21. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. 2021. 
And so who are present day disciple makers who are doing discipleship well that we can look to and glean from? Um, often, the, the, in, in what we're doing when we look at Jesus' life, we're looking for principles for disciple-making that tra- transcend culture and time. And there are Holy Spirit-filled people that are doing that right now, and they're writing about it, they're writing books about it, they're writing articles about it, they're doing trainings, we can learn from them. This makes me think of Paul's word to the Corinthians. He said to them in, in chapter 11, verse 1 in 1 Corinthians, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So who are those godly mentors that are setting an example for us that we can follow? We should identify them. Have you heard it said that um, be careful of the company you keep? Did your parents ever tell you this? Because in only a matter of five years or so, you will be who you surround yourself with. Hey, we're going to grow as disciple makers. Let's surround ourselves with disciple makers. Makes sense, right? But perhaps, in addition to seeing Jesus as the ultimate vision of disciple making, probably one of the best things we can do is actually be discipled ourselves. It's hard to help another person experience something that you yourself haven't experienced. And so, if you've never been discipled by a person, And what I mean by that, if you've never had somebody, if you haven't had somebody come alongside of you over a lengthy period of time who's further along in their spiritual journey to invest in you, to meet with you, to pour into you so that you grow in obedience to all that Jesus commanded, maybe this is your first step in disciple making, is finding someone that can do this with you. And if you have no idea who that, could, you know, who that is, start praying and come talk to me. And we could probably figure that out together. We need a vision for making disciples. Secondly, we need commitment. Making disciples requires commitment. If you don't commit to growing as a disciple of Jesus, and if you don't commit to making disciples, guess what? You're just not going to grow in, as a disciple maker, right? This is... Uh, Pretty obvious. Um, When Jesus called his first 12 disciples, what sort of commitment did he ask from them? Well, let's think about this. He asked them to leave their families, leave their homes, leave their careers to, to learn to become disciple makers. That's what he did. Now, we can, you know... What we want to say is, well, that's probably just for the original 12, right? Like, he doesn't really require that, you know, of us today, you know? And But then, what did Jesus say to the crowds in regards to what was necessarily necessary to follow him? Mark 8, 34 through 35 says this. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. It doesn't sound like Jesus had one set of expectations and standards for the twelve and a totally different set for just everybody who would come after, you know, the first twelve disciples as disciples of Jesus. No. Jesus 
from any disciple, true disciples asking for 100% commitment to discipleship to Jesus and 100% commitment to his mission to make disciples. Now, how that works out, specifically in an individual's life, will in, in, in individual lives will vary. Like the 12, Jesus will call some people to leave their job, to leave their family, to leave their home, to go to some far off land and make disciples there. For many more, he will call people to, guess what, make disciples where you're planted, where you are already at. But no matter where he locates you, the call is the same. 100% commitment to discipleship to Jesus and 100% commitment to make disciples. That's it. Too often we are like in this gray area of kind of like one foot in, one foot out. Kind of I'm half committed. Notice that Jesus did not say to people, as one pastor has said, and I, and I really like this. If, you, if any of you are remotely interested in this, who would, be, who would like to be marginally concerned about me, that wasn't the call. And so I asked you this morning, are you committed to discipleship? Your own discipleship and making disciples of other people. Are you 100% committed? Does your life is your life organized around that? Because what we try to do, and I, I see this in my own life, I see this in so many people's lives, is we try and live our own life, have our own agenda, and try and squeeze Jesus' mission where there's little gaping holes. No, Jesus isn't going to, no. You're your Lord, Jesus is not, if you're living that way. If we are going to commit 100% to this discipleship mission, guess what? We're going to have to be able to say no to certain things so that we can say yes to this. In order to be able to say yes, you've got to be able to say no. And so I asked you this morning, what do you need to say no to in order to say yes to disciple making? Do you need to say no to working too many hours at work? Do you need to say no to laziness? Do you need to say no to home improvements that you'd like to get done? Do you need to say no to having your kids in a bazillion activities? Do you need to say no to the golf course? Do you need to say no to that Netflix binge? Do you need to say no to whatever? And let me remind you that whatever, this is so critical, whatever we sacrifice to Jesus in the long run, it will be no sacrifice at all. Here's why. How is it a sacrifice when you are giving up something of little value for something of great value? How is that a sacrifice? And when you're following Jesus and you are learning to obey all that he commanded, you are giving up things of lesser value for the thing of great value. And that's why in the end, it is never a sacrifice at all to follow Jesus. 
You need vision, you need commitment. Thirdly, you need grace. Making disciples requires grace. Remember uh, from our last sermon series on generosity, um, we gave this definition for, for grace. Grace is God acting in our lives to accomplish what we can't accomplish on our own. I love that definition. Just reading that definition like makes me feel relaxed. So we can commit to this mission of disciple making, but if we commit and even if we put forth a whole bunch of effort, but grace isn't a part of the equation, we are going to drive ourselves crazy. We are not going to be fruitful as disciple makers. We need the master discipler through the Holy Spirit to be with us every step of the way. Um, look at how, and, and what's so good news about, what's such good news about the Great Commission is look at how Jesus ends the Great Commission. I am with you always, he says in Matthew 28, 20, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus, he gives his followers, the, the 11 at this point, this worldwide gigantic mission, right? Makes disciples of all nations. And I, I imagine, and I could be wrong, but I imagine that when Jesus' 11 heard this, they had to be like just, are you serious? Like just almost shaking, like no way. And then Jesus had to have calmed their fears when he said, look, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. This Jesus with us has to become real to our hearts if we're going to be fruitful in disciple making, because here is what's going to happen the minute. Some of you are like, some of you, the Holy Spirit is convicting on this. Some of you are asleep and not paying attention. Some, the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now. And you're like, this has to become a part of my life. It has to be my whole life, not just a part, right? You're being convicted in that way. Here's what the enemy is going to do for those of you who are sitting here and God's lighting the fire in your belly. The enemy, the deceiver, the liar, he's going to come in and say, you can't do it. You can't do it. You're not good enough. You've only been following Jesus for a year. How could you lead somebody else? Do you know all the sin that's still in your life? And I mean, he's gonna, you're not, you don't know enough. You don't know enough. You can't do it. That's what I guarantee. If, you, if that fire is coming in you, that I'm going to be a part of this mission, the enemy is going to be close behind it. And he's going to want to deceive you and think you can't do it. Make you think you can't do it. And so we need to keep coming back to Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. Because the enemy wants us to lose sight of Jesus and he wants us to focus on all of our inadequacies. That's what he wants to do. So, why is it such good news that Jesus is with us? Well, Matthew 28, 18 tells us. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Woo! All authority. In heaven and on earth? Jesus is saying, there's nowhere that I, and there's no one who can oppose me. I am more powerful than anything or anyone, anywhere at all times. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth, which means if Jesus is with us, 
How do we know, though, for sure that Jesus really has all authority? Do you know how Matthew 28 starts? Starts with this. The resurrection. Ah, that's how we know. Because what did Jesus do through his life and his death and through his resurrection? Well, specifically with his death and and resurrection, every single force that opposes God was thrown at Jesus when he was hanging on the cross and even in the events leading up to it. Sin, sinners, Satan, death, all thrown at Jesus. Evil threw its best shot, and yet, three days later, his body began to breathe, as we sing in the song. And the great lion of Judah comes roaring back from the grave, declaring victory. And not only that, so he demonstrated, look, I am the one who has all authority. And guess what? He rose with our victory in hand. We sing it. Because what was keeping us locked in the grip of the enemy? Our unforgiven sin. Jesus dies for it so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. And so, if he has authority, all authority, his resurrection proves it. And if God did not spare his own son, right? To meet our greatest need of rescue from sin, Satan, and death, but delivered his son up for us, how will he not with Jesus, freely give us all that we need as we embark on this mission to make disciples. And so, if you need encouragement along the way, guess what? Encouragement's going to come. If you need wisdom along the way, guess what? It's going to come. If you need a helping hand, it's going to come. Jesus is going to provide what we need. And if Jesus is at our side, or better yet, if we are at his side, who or what can stand against us? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, that even the gates of hell, even the gates of hell, meaning any defense system fortification that the enemy can come up up with, cannot stand against Jesus and his church and his disciple-making mission. Why? Because all authority has been given to Jesus. Um. This should take the pressure off of us as we embark on this mission with Jesus. Because who is really making the disciples? It's Jesus. He's really doing the disciple making. We are just assisting. He's leading. We are his assistant. That's really what is happening. Our job is simply to follow his lead on this mission. Because it's, he, he is the one that draws a heart to himself. He is the one that brings a heart to a place where it knows it needs to be saved and it needs to reach out in repentance and faith. He is the one that regenerates a person and puts and plants the Holy Spirit inside of her. We don't do any of that. Right? This should take the pressure off of us. I'll close with this. Um, just a little illustration. This past Tuesday, right, we got the snowstorm. And... Um, So, and I was thinking about disciple-making with the grace that God supplies and with Him empowering us, you know, to do what we can't do on our own. And I was thinking about clearing my driveway, right? Like all of you, there's tons of snow out there. And would the driveway become clear if I just sat in my house and did nothing? No, I had to commit 
to getting that driveway cleared. Now I had a vision for what a clear driveway looks like, right? I had to commit to it. I had to put forth intentional effort, the best way to clear the driveway and so on and so forth. But was I striving and straining to clear my driveway, which is, by the way, fairly large because there's an entrance and an exit and the driveway goes in front of my house if you've ever been there. Was I striving and straining to clear it? No. Why not? Because I was working with the power that wasn't my own. I, was, I have a snowblower. <laughs> right? And that was God's grace that he supplied me with. Because I found this snowblower about three or four years ago for 100 bucks on the side of the road. And that thing is awesome. It may be from 1983, but I love it. Right? And so, did I get exhausted clearing my driveway? No. Actually, I rather enjoyed it. Actually, I was so excited the night before for the snowstorm. Because I get to use my snowblower. Right? Love it. And guess what? I enjoyed it so thoroughly that I went and just to my neighbors, you know, he has heart issues, so I'll take care of it. If I was working on my, with my own strength to do that, I would have been exhausted after shoveling my driveway. No way I would have made it to my neighbors. And if I would have tried, I probably would have killed myself. He has a long driveway, right? So if we try and obey Jesus' command to make disciples and we're just like, we're alone and we're not doing this with Jesus and if we're leading and he's just kind of assisting us and not the other way around, making disciples will crush us. It'll become such a burden and we are going to become exhausted and we're going to strive and strain. There's going to be little fruit. But if we stay in step with Jesus, ah, then we're able to do things we couldn't do on our own. How do we stay in step with Jesus? I forgot to mention this over at the other place. Through the spiritual disciplines, there's two, these are two main ones. There's a lot of spiritual disciplines, but from in taking God's word and through prayer. It's been said that God speaks to us through his word. We speak to God through prayer. This is how we stay in step with Jesus. Because as we do this, as we seek to make disciples, he's going to say, look, this person needs to be discipled. Oh, and this is how you've got to work with that person. And now you've got to do this with them. You know, we're going to have him leading us. And so, and I'll say this and, and we'll be done. Remember that making disciples is not working for our salvation. It is working out our salvation. It is working out of something we already possess, God's grace, right? This is how we work the salvation we already have out. We can make disciples. Making disciples requires vision, commitment, and grace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity you give us, the privilege to partake in your mission to see all nations. Um, people of all nations become your disciples, know you as Lord and Savior, and grow in obedience to all that you've commanded. Lord, thank you that uh, where you guide, you provide. And so whatever you require of us, you graciously get supply what we need to accomplish what you're asking us to do. We thank you for your promise, Jesus, that you are with us always. And that all authority has been given to you. And so with you at your side, we cannot fail. Lord, thank you that you 
do the heavy lifting. We are just assisting you. Lord, I pray that if uh, there are people here today that don't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would turn from their life apart from you and they would throw themselves upon you, Jesus, as their master, as the one who died for them, for their redemption, for their forgiveness, that they would receive you into their life and that they, as a result, would experience the freedom to live as they were designed to live that can only come from, from knowing you and that they would grow in obedience to you. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that has received you as Lord and Savior but is living in a disobedience to your great commission, your great mission, that you would set a fire in their belly, that you would remind them that you have called them to 100% commitment, not this wishy-washy in sometimes, out sometimes, half-hearted, I'm really my own Lord, Jesus, you're not kind of faith. And may they come to you through your word and through prayer and start to put down some action steps that they may glean from you so that they can take steps towards making disciples. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.